Hey everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we are in John chapter 9. Jesus has just escaped from being stoned after he declared that before Abraham was, I am. He has already claimed to be the light of the world. And now in chapter 9, he will put that reality into dramatic effect by healing a blind man, bringing light to where there was once darkness. Let's read the whole chapter as it's one beautiful story in its entirety. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. But night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but but he is like him kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made it made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such a sign? And there was a a division among them. And so they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and then received, that he had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called man, the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. What do you want what do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are a disciple of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why is this an amazing thing? You why why this is an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, 
And would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who speaks, is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a powerful story here, right? And so here... The story begins by Jesus passing by a blind man, right? And the disciples ask him a really common question. Who sinned so that this man would have the condition that he does? Now, many Jews, like Job's friends, believe that every temporal misfortune was God's punishment for a specific sin. With congenital affliction, the explanation would often be that the sin had been committed in the womb or by the parents whose sinful act victimized their their child. And now Jesus completely dismisses these as improper explanations. But that this is now this is not to say that, that there are not certain trials that God does not ordain punishment for. You know, for instance, the life of David after his adultery and murder, or other things like that. But Jesus here is making clear that you can't look at someone's physical affliction and immediately ascribe it as some kind of picture of judgment. Nor does he here dismiss the biblical doctrine of original sin, which teaches that all suffering is the consequence of our corporate sin or rebellion in Adam. But it is unwise and uncharitable to judge that the sufferings of others are always punitive, or are in any way specifically punitive. This is unwise and it is uncharitable charitable to look at someone's physical affliction and to say this has to be a product of their own doing or the doing of sin. Now the question put to Jesus presents a false dilemma. There were only two possibilities that were given as a reason for man's affliction. His own sin or the sin of his parents. And Jesus offers a third option. That the works of God might be displayed. Some of our Sufferings like the trials of Job are for God's glory, either through our resulting refinement or through a spectacular healing, as in the present case. God's purpose is not always presently known to us, but we have God's assurance that His purpose is always for the good of His people, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, and for the glory of His name. Everything that we endure is ultimately for our good and for His glory whether that is long-term sanctification conforming us to the image of Christ or through immediate healing where he steps in and acts in an amazing way. And in this situation, that's what Jesus does. God is stepping in to act in an amazing way to reveal his glory through the healing of this man. Now, the way that he does it is very interesting. It says that he spits on the ground, making mud with saliva, and then basically rubs the man's eyes with this Basically, this saliva-based mud. Now, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus also used saliva in the course of healing. And it's important to understand that this was not a medical agent, but provided an opportunity for the man to show his faith by obeying Jesus' command. 
This is in many ways, it seems weird to us, and in some ways it is. Why would Jesus do this? Um, I, I would simply say why he does it is hard to explain, why it's specifically this act. But I, I wouldn't say that it's strange. And what I mean by that is this. Who is Jesus but the potter? He is the potter, and we are the clay. And I think what you're getting in this image here is the image of Christ, the grand potter, putting together clay of his own making and anointing the eyes of the man by making them right. The potter is fixing the clay. I think that's really what's happening here. And so in the midst of the weirdness, look through it and see the potter at work bringing healing to the clay. And so he has him go to the pool of Siloam there to wash as a means of, of picturing his obedience. The man goes, does that, and he comes back seeing. He has been healed. Now, immediately, right, people are going, whoa, what has happened to this guy? He, he can see, his eyes are open, and, and they're, they're saying, what in the world? We know that you were begging here. You've been here your whole life. You know, you've been blind as long as we've known you. What has happened? And he tells them, he gives them his testimony. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes, said to me, go to Siloam. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, where is he? He said, I I don't know. As the story developed, the healed healed man moves forward in the path of faith. Here he does not know where Jesus is. Later he asserts that Jesus is a prophet. Later he raises doubts about the accusation that Jesus is a sinner. And finally, after meeting Jesus again, he acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of God, and he worships him as such. These steps of faith illustrate what the author of the gospel wants for his readers. He wants for them to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he's written this book, John chapter 20, verse 31. These things have been written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is what he's saying. This gradual step of a person being given light to see to ultimately coming to a point of faith. right? And once again, when does this happen? It happened on the Sabbath. Now, I, Jesus, I believe, I, I believe overwhelmingly is doing that on purpose. And he's doing it to make clear that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right, and, and, and he's wanting not only the, to show that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's healing on this day even more specifically to show the darkness of the Pharisees, the hardness of their heart. Because instead of being, a grateful, instead of being grateful for this supernatural work of God's grace, the Pharisees began to haggle about the observance of the Sabbath. And their concern was specifically about their traditional interpretations of what the fourth commandment required. But not one of the actions involved, right? None of them was forbidden by the law. And rather than questioning their own understanding of of the law, they simply rejected Jesus and his ministry. And it just goes to show you the way that man, man will manipulate God's word when order they seek to maintain their position of authority, their position of power, rather than surrendering it properly to Christ. And then verses 18 through 23 right? We start seeing the realities of this inquiry that comes against the man, right? They, they, the man thinks, you know, Jesus is a prophet. And so they, the Jews don't believe that. And they're struggling with the reality that he really was blind. They think that this is just some charlatan at work here. This is all a scam, a Ponzi scheme. 
And so they start trying to do some, some digging. And so they invite the man's parents to come and speak. And we're told here that the parents say, listen, this is definitely our son. And he, is, he, was, he was definitely blind. There is no doubt about that. But when pressed about who did it, because of their fear of being kicked out of the synagogue, they basically plead the fifth. Um, listen, this guy's old enough. He can answer for himself. Um, we don't know what happened. We just know he definitely was blind, and now he is definitely not. What, how it happened, we don't know, but you can ask him yourself. And so then this goes to a second investigation. Once again, a second questioning of the healed man. And this brings, once again, no new facts to light. But the investigator's position remains hardened. And this shows the hardness of the heart apart from the light of Christ. That as testimony after testimony is brought forward of the good news of Christ and what he's done, these men are not softened by the message. They're hardened by it. The same gospel that melts the wax of some hearts hardens the clay of others. And the only difference is, did the, is was the spirit at work at one and not at the other. And so as they hear this testimony, they're getting more and more hard, hardened by the reality. And so because of their, their anger over him, especially when he says, listen, you know, I, I, I don't know. I love this, right? He, he doesn't pretend to be some scholar, some theologian, but he's just like, listen, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he does listen to them. No, never once has there ever been a situation where a man has been blind from birth and made to see in this miraculous moment. But And so we know, right, that this man is from God because if he wasn't, there's no way he could do this. There's no way. And rather than hearing to the truth of that testimony, they cast him out. They cast him out from the synagogue. This is a powerful picture. But in the midst of them casting him out, look who comes to him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of the man, Son of Man? In this second encounter with Jesus, the healed man's faith moves from a general confidence in Jesus' godly mission to a joyful acceptance of him as the Messiah, worthy to be worshipped. In this epilogue, Jesus brings to light the impact of his coming. Those who falsely imagine that they have special insight into the things of God become blind opponents of God's ways. And those who seem less informed are able to see when the Spirit of God opens their eyes and leads them to faith. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The first coming of Christ did not bring the last judgment, but he did confront people with the obligation to decide for or against him. And until the second coming of Christ, this is still the age of redemption, during which the blind are made to see, and those dead in trespasses and sins are raised to newness of life, while those who reject him are driven to further darkness and further blindness. You see, this is a remarkable reality. And the irony that John gives us here, if Jesus is the light of the world, then it is his opponents who are outside in the dark. Whereas those who were once blind now see fully and are able to live faithfully for him 
because they saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Have you seen the light? The light of Christ. If so, that is such glorious news. Because apart from Him, the only thing that can happen is to remain in darkness and to be found outside of the world, outside of His kingdom. No matter what the world does to you for seeing the light of Christ, they may cast you out of their buildings, their places, their spaces. If you're in Christ, though, you've been brought in. You've been brought home. You have the light. What a wonderful news. And I think the most important thing to end with here is to notice the progression from when the man saw the light to when the man came to salvation. It was not immediate at once. And I think that's so true of regeneration. As I think that there are times when man, when God has come into the heart of man and began to open his eyes to see. And little by little, as man understands the light that he has received, his vision of Christ becomes more and more clear. What he once saw as a prophet, what he once saw as a good man, what he once saw as a good teacher, all of a sudden comes into full clear. And he sees, no, he is the Son of God. And they believe fully in him. Sometimes that process is immediate. Sometimes that process takes some time for others. But you can be sure that where God gives the light, Christ will be seen for who he is and believed upon for salvation. What wonderful news that we have seen the light. That we were blind, but now we see. God bless.